We have a brain for one reason and one reason only. That's to produce adaptable and complex movements. Movement is the only way we affect the world around us. I believe that to understand movement is to understand the whole brain. And therefore, it's important to remember when you're studying memory, cognition, sensory processing, they're there for a reason, and that reason is action. From neuroscientist Daniel Walpert. Welcome back to the Neuroscience Meet Social and Emotional Learning Podcast, where we cover the science-based evidence behind social and emotional learning for schools and emotional intelligence training in the workplace with tools, ideas, and strategies that we can all use for immediate results with our brain in mind. I'm Andrea Samadhi, an author and an educator with a passion for learning, specifically on the topics of health, well-being and productivity, and launched this podcast to share how important an understanding of our brain is to our everyday life and results, whether we're a teacher in the classroom, a student, or in the modern workplace. On today's episode number 240, we'll be speaking with Trent McIntyre from Fire Up Your Brain, where you can see the brain-based training programs that he developed by chance for kids, seniors, and athletes when he stumbled across the answer to something that unlocked his brain through moving the body, leading him to develop the Fire Up Your Brain program, unleashing his mission to help others around the globe with his discovery. We just heard from Joshua Gillis on episode 238, about how important movement is for unlocking the brain, especially with athletes. So when I read Trent's story, I was blown away with how our last episode helped me to make some sense of how Trent's invention could possibly fire up your brain, since we just learned about how some simple movements that Joshua created had a profound impact on world-class athletes who had almost given up hope of getting better. Then I read his story and it caught me off guard a bit. From looking at Trent's videos and even the pictures of him on his website, I would guess he was a retired pro athlete of some sort who'd invented something that made a difference for his team. And then he's now extended this tool for kids and seniors. But there's much more to this story than meets the eye. Trent was born with a mild form of cerebral palsy and experienced pain and stiffness every day from the time he was a child. Now my mind goes back to our recent episode with Ashok Gupta, where he created an advanced brain retraining program to help people relieve chronic pain by breaking that vicious inflammation loop. And I wonder how Trent was able to move past his pain using his love of sports and repair his own body. I'll put Trent's bio in the show notes, and think that he's going to tell his story in a way that will all feel the heart behind the Fire Up Your Brain program and participate with Trent's mission to spread the word of his work. Let's meet Trent McIntyre and learn how we can fire up our brain, unlocking us to new heights in school, sports, and the workplace. 
Welcome, Trent. Thank you so much for meeting with me today to take us behind the scenes of the story of this incredible invention that you've created to fire up our brains. Thank you so much. Where have we reached you today? I'm in Michigan. That's what I thought. That's what I thought. Yeah. So um, I want to just start out to kind of give people an idea of the backstory that I have recorded already. And I don't know if you looked at it, yeah. but you know, when I, when I looked at your website and what you have created, I wouldn't have guessed your story from looking at what you've done. I was kind of thinking maybe this guy's like a former athlete that's created something that helped his team and then found that it, and found that it could help kids in schools and, so, but can you share those early years, what they were like for you? And then how did you discover something about this ball that made everything shift for you? Yeah, there's really two legs of the story. You know, the first one is that, um, you know, I was born with a class one cerebral palsy. And uh, it's important to note that I didn't know that. I wasn't told, it wasn't something that I grew up thinking about, however, I did experience and think about all of the limitations I had. And for those that maybe don't know, with uh, cerebral palsy, you have like five common classifications. And when you get to like a class three, you generally can tell by looking at someone that there's, there's a marked gait difference or there's there's something about it that you might say, oh, that's probably you know somebody that, with, that was born with cerebral palsy. But a class one, which a lot of people have and sometimes don't even realize it, um, you can't necessarily tell by looking at them, but the limitations are real. The restrictions are real. And having that, that brain injury at birth is real. And, but I didn't know about it. And, um, I was always athletic. I played basketball and I actually got into dance and dance became something that helped me feel better because there's so much strength, strengthening and stretching and all the, all the pieces that made me feel better. And because I was feeling better, I kept doing it and I was athletic. So I had some skill and, and I, I went with it and it, it was a way for me to go to college and I got a scholarship, I went to college and then shortly into dancing in college, I woke up one morning and I could barely walk to the shower. I was, I had so much pain and inflammation from the knees down that I thought this, this is really serious and it didn't make sense to me. And it was something that I felt like. This could be career ending. I, I don't know if I can overcome this. It just happened that that coincided with the holiday break. So I was home for, for holiday and I was just kind of complaining to my mom. I was like, I don't know what's going on here. Like why I have so much pain and inflammation from the knees down? I don't get it. And she's like, well, Trent, that's because you were born with cerebral palsy and that's where it affected you. And I was like, wait, okay. So I was 19. And I'm like, wait a minute. So it was, it was a lot to digest, you know? Um, and so she's like, do you remember when you were three? And, and I was like, I don't really remember three, but she's like, yeah, they, they cast your heels to the ground because you learned to walk in the balls of your feet and you didn't have any range of motion in your ankles. So they forced your heels down and then cast you there to, to stretch your Achilles tendon. And then I had like a flash memory of having these casts being winter and having trash bags on them to be able to go in the snow, things like that. And I was like, oh yeah, I do remember that. But that was the only thing they did. So there was no, there was no injury or invasive uh, procedure. But having that knowledge um, kind of lit the fire for me to start problem solving for my own body. So that's where my problem solving really lit on fire. And 
at that point, neuroscience wasn't something we talked about. Talking about the brain and patterning and uh, you know all the all the the details, there wasn't a vocabulary for it. So I just started leveraging my training with kinesiology and anatomy and physiology and all the things that I was studying in college as a part of my program and created exercises and some made it worse, some made it better. And I was able to rehab my own injury. And it wasn't until later that I realized what I was really doing. I was really leveraging principles of, of neuroscience to create better patterns that could stick so that I could have better movement quality on a regular basis. So that's the first arm. It's a profound one, but that's the first arm of what happened. Well, this is amazing because we've just done a couple of episodes that I mentioned with Ashok Gupta from the UK who was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease. And he did the same thing. He looked at the brain for, you know, where was this pain coming from in his body? And he had the same problem. Like we weren't talking about the brain back then. So I right. just wonder, where did you go in the very beginning? Like, because neuroscience hasn't come to the forefront until just recently. Right. Yeah. It was, it was this amazing thing where I, I happened to, um, th this, this led me into uh, becoming a Pilates instructor. Um, but I, I quickly discovered that I'm not, I'm not seeing this the way other Pilates teachers are seeing this. I, I, people would ask me like, how did you know to do that? And how do you, why do you put it like that? That's not in the manual. And I was like, yeah, I mean, I'm teaching Pilates, but what I'm really doing is something else. And then books started being published on neuroscience, things about the brain, how we're wired, how to rewire. And I'm like, well, I should read these. These are probably going to be good for me. And so I start reading them and I'm like, uh, this is what I'm doing. This is literally like in a manual for how I'm approaching my clients and myself. And then I, I, I had a vocabulary for it. I had a way to express what I'm doing and a way to point to someone else's research and go, yeah, that's exactly the support for what I've been doing for all these years. And that was really important because until that point, I was just what I thought, just teaching exercises the way I thought you should teach exercises, not realize, realizing I was leveraging principles of you know, uh, neuroplasticity to <laughs> create powerful changes in people. And I still don't think that people understand that enough. Because, right. You know, I just interviewed this guy the other day that's been doing this with world-class athletes. And, you know, he's he's explaining the things that he's doing that's all movement-based. Yeah. And then I saw what you did. And I'm like, it's just another way of doing kind of the same thing to get an, an end result. But there's a piece to this that you haven't addressed yet that kind of ties in. Yeah. And we've spent many episodes talking about reading in the brain. Yeah. Um, you know, we talked to David A. Souza. He spent his whole life talking about how the brain learns. And a lot of educators read his manuals. And that's really where I started to learn about the brain as it relates to reading. So how did you unlock the secret for reading that marked the end of your reading challenges through yeah. brain training? Where did that happen? Yeah. So, you know, it, it, it was embarrassing for most of my life that I wasn't able to read without falling asleep. I get one sentence in and I would just fall asleep. And, and it was, it was quite challenging. And, you know, it's one of those things where I can think back to even like third grade where my third grade teacher at parent teacher conferences is like, well, he has a hard time with reading. And so what we're going to do is give him more reading. And it's one of those things where um, I could comprehend, I could, I could read, but there was something that was actually neurologically and physiologi physiologically 
off and imbalanced for me that was causing the problem. It wasn't my ability to read. And so giving me more of that just made it worse. Right. I'm like, well, this is this is double terrible because I'm already slow at reading at, at school. So I have homework in third grade, which back then you didn't. And then also I got this green box of these books that I had to read extra and answer these questions every night. And it was just torture. And so then I learned to hate reading. And yeah. then it was like, well, I'll do any, I can go to school for dance. Yeah. I don't have to read much. That's awesome. I'll do every physical thing I can do. Not that you don't have to read for dance. You do and study, but you, it really wasn't like going to law school or something like that, where it's so reading intense. So I would, I would problem solve it in college and get up really early, stand up, hold my books, read. So I could just wouldn't fall asleep and kind of get through. And then it became audiobooks. And then I would say, I'm reading a good book. Well, I was listening to an audiobook, and I was ashamed of that because everybody else I knew could read and read really fast. My wife is an incredible reader. And, you know, in fact, reading keeps her awake, doesn't make her fall asleep. And I never understood that. Well, so I'm, I'm telling a client one day that I'm reading this great book, this series of books. Um, and I was listening to it in audio. <laughs> and I said, you know, I'm going to, Cal I'm going to California for a conference and I got to get the next book. And so the next time she saw me, she brought me the book, thinking that she was doing me a huge favor and something <laughs> really kind. And I'm like, oh, that's great. Now I, I have to get the audio. I've got to listen to it before I get back because everybody else in the world can read this book on the plane and, and report back that they loved it. And it was really easy. This was going to be a huge task for me, but now I have to like stage a response. You know, it, felt, it just felt terrible, but I feel like obligated to do that. That people pleaser in me, I suppose, at the, at the time. <laughs> and so... I took the book with me. Of course, I didn't read it. And while I was out there, I actually ran into um, a vision therapist and discovered that my eyes didn't work together. They, they didn't track and see the same thing at the same time. And with just a couple of eye tracking exercises, my range of motion improved, my, my ability to um, read suddenly exploded. I mean, just minutes of doing exercises. So I, I had gone, gone to my booth and uh, missed a friend. They had stopped by and wrote me a note. And so I picked up the note and I just like read like I've never read in my life. I just couldn't believe the speed at which I read and comprehended everything. I was like, wait, did I just do that? <laughs> and, and that was the piece where I was like, okay, I need to really investigate the implications of the eyes in tracking on brain performance and output, because I just experienced a tremendous change in just a few minutes. And, and that was amazing. And so, you know, I read the whole book on the plane back and then I got the rest of the series and I read the book and my wife's like, who are you? You want to go buy more books? You don't want to download the audio? I'm like, no, I can read now. She's like, what's happening? You know, because I have a struggling reader in my house, you know, mm. and and it's getting better over the years. You know, we don't put pressure on her and make her read more books that we know right. that doesn't work for sure. But I'm just thinking in my head, what do I do? I buy her the speed ball and she does the activities before her homework and it changes yeah. her brain. What what happened? Yeah. So so from from there, I. I, before I got to the brain speed ball, I was looking at what's available and vision therapists do great work. Um, but here's the thing, like, it just isn't fun enough. It just isn't like, you know, like grab it and go and have a good time because when it's fun, the brain listens and the, and all people stay curious, kids, older adult, you stay curious when it's fun, you know, everybody enjoys that. Um, and so I just thought, how could we make this fun? Really? Like as a foundational piece, this has to be fun. 
And that's where the brain speed ball came in. It's like, I'm going to make this, you know, my favorite color is orange. Orange is a great contrast. Let's make it a bright orange with black letters and numbers on it so that it's just um, something that you feel like you want to pick up and you want to play with. And so when you, when you look at the power of eye tracking and you, you have connections to your ability to focus, your ability to read, your ability to feel confident in what you're doing because you feel more organized in your body, you're regulated, it goes on and on. Like just right. the connection between eye performance and the rest of your body and brain is tremendous. And so I just developed a game of catch where we throw this ball back and forth and you're tracking it with your eyes coming into your hands and you're finding a letter or number on it. And then you're just saying it out loud when you catch it and it would just play back and forth. And because you're throwing it to different places and you're catching it in different locations, your eyes are tracking and receiving in many different places. And so you're doing eye exercises just built into tracking the ball. And because you're calling out what you're seeing on the ball, you're going through a brain processing cycle. So you're using this, these eye tracking and brain processing over and over and over again while playing a fun game of catch. And, you know, you don't even have to speak the same language for it to work. You, you really, it's just eye tracking is so powerful that as long as you keep it fun, you can, you can make pretty huge things happen. So yes, for your daughter with, with reading, with homework, yeah, it's like one to five minutes before work, before her reading or her work and ask her what she notices and then see what you notice. Mm -hmm. It's been, it's been amazing to hear stories. You know, it's, it's one thing if I have a client that I'm working with one-on-one -on -one and I can, I can help them discover and open up and find more. Uh, abilities in their body through these eye tracking exercises, but something else, when somebody has the ball that I've never met, I get a call from a mom in Chicago. She's like, you know, I got this ball for me and I had it on the counter and my 13 year old picked it up and just kind of fell in love with it. And she's like, Trent, you have to understand that my 13 year old struggles with homework and it's such a struggle that it's a, it's a daily battle in my household. It is the temperature of her house is like this battle of homework because it's so hard for her. She played with this ball for five minutes and she sat and did her homework for the first time in her life. I mean, I still get goosebumps because I know having kids myself, like that kind of disruption, that kind of energy and sadness and stress in the house can be really overwhelming. So to hear that someone I've never met and a kid just invented their own game, but because they were using their eyes and they were tracking the ball, it just like pulled it together for them. And it really happens in a few minutes and it seems impossible, but it's just not because the eyes are that powerful. So I, I'm thinking of so many different applications here, but because I'm a former teacher and I've got a struggling reader, I'm always going to go to the school application yeah, yeah. first, just, just because, sure. and, and I've sold so many products to the schools. So if a teacher uh, sees this, they go online and they buy one ball, and then they get a whole program that would go with it. Is that correct? That yeah, the, the, right cool. now there's a program called Fire Free Brain for Kids. And mm -hmm. what would happen is, you know, you, you essentially have your instruction on the basics of the game. So you understand how to do the eye tracking because that's an important element. And then you have a bunch of different games you can play because you want to make sure that it stays fun and creative. And so it really is about teaching you how to play the game and giving you different ways of playing, but then also setting you free to come up with your own games. And teachers are great with that. You know, you, you just give that, give them the basics of what's required. There's just gotta be eye tracking and fun. If you've got eye tracking and fun, you can make up any game. We've had uh, preschool classes. Um, we, we can't share the video, but I was able to see amazing, like a, a circle of preschoolers 
And they don't know their letters and numbers when they're doing this. And they roll the ball. Something, somebody catches, they put their finger on something. And then with the teacher, they learn what that letter and number is. They trace it on the ball and they roll it. And every, everybody's watching it go from kid to kid to kid to kid to them. And what'd you get? What'd you get? And they don't even realize that they're doing eye tracking. And so for five or 10 minutes, the whole group is watching this ball go around the circle <laughs> and exercising their eyes. Right. And then their next activity is even more powerful. So it, it's really, you know, it doesn't have to be like, here's the way to play the game. You know, it's just, here's the basics. You have to have eye tracking and it's got to be fun. But then some examples of how to play and just for you to feel free to be creative. I love it. I love this so much because I know that, you know, to get the, the students learning, they do their spelling and they stand up and they recite their spelling words and, you know, brain bites or, you know, just shifting the learning for five minutes is all they need. But a lot of people don't know what to do with yeah. the, with that brain bite. So now they have a tool, which I think is, is just amazing that you've created this. This is like this is groundbreaking really for, for those in the classroom. I, I think that it's exciting that teachers could have a resource that could be so simple and fast. You know, I, I remember, I don't know about you, but I know for me when I was in elementary recess was actually our brain work. Right. You went on the merry-go-round and you spun in circles so that your inner ear and your visual systems were challenged. You're on swing sets going back and forth. You're climbing and connecting on monkey bars. You're running. You're, all these activities were really brain-based activities. And, and so, but at the same time, there's a certain level of athleticism that's required to do them. Right. And if you have a weakness, then the merry-go-round makes you throw up, <laughs> you yeah. know? And so, so then this is something that anybody can do at any level. You know, we have, we have all ages and abilities. We even have... Um, youngsters that aren't able to necessarily catch a flying ball that if you just roll it or you kind of hand it to them, it still works. It's, it's just, it's just really simple. So you don't have to have a brain or neuro background to be able to play a game of catch and ask your youngsters to track and see it, you know? Got it. Got it. Well, I got to go to the next part of this because it's so important to me and that's the topic of health. Yeah. And we, our podcast actually took a turn towards health and wellness around September of 2020, kind of in the middle of the pandemic. And we started looking at the top five health staples that I thought could move the needle for all of us to improve our physical and mental health. And for someone like yourself, who's overcome health challenges using exercise and movement, what can you say about this movement gap or getting kids to actually move and maybe even older people who might have lost hope with the medical community these days? How can this? Yeah. Happen? Yeah. I started using the terminology, the movement gap, when I realized that, you know, my, my clients and friends and family are, are leveraging the medical resources and they're just not designed to support you hundred percent with what you're doing. They're, it's, it's not that they're not good and strong and qualified. They are. It's just, you also have to build your own practice. And so because people don't necessarily know how to do that, they fall into this movement gap where they're done with their, their physical therapy or whatever therapy they're doing, and but they, they haven't quite achieved what they want to achieve. Their quality of life is still lower than they want it to be, and they have plenty of possibility. They just don't know how to get there. And so there they sit in that gap. And so for me, having something like the brain speed ball and some kind of movement strategy helps get them out of that gap and kind of fill that in so that you, you have 
a resource that you can do on your own, whether it's because you're stressed or because you have a movement limitation or reading is challenging or, you know, you're grieving. It could be anything that you're working on to get yourself out of that gap. Got it. And even what about high level athletes? I saw some of your videos yeah. with like a goalie getting the ball. How are you using it with higher level athletes? Yeah. So, you know, what, what's amazing is that um, high level athletes, uh, um, they can, it can be deceiving like, as if they have all of these abilities because they look amazing. They can jump high, they can run fast. And then you go and you have them uh, move their eyes in different directions and you see like, oh, they can't catch a ball. Well, that's what they do for a living. But when they catch it over here, they drop it a lot. And you realize that their eye strength and range of motion is limited. And if you open that up and you improve their eye strength and range of motion and coordination, their athletic performance goes up, their reaction time goes up. And so you think about like uh, a baseball player standing at the at home plate. And if he's, he has a weakness looking to his left and he's right-handed, it's going to be hard for him to track the ball. So when I watch baseball, I'm like, I'm watching his eyes. I'm like, he's going to strike out because he can't see the ball. He's a super athletic, you know, quite capable athlete, but he's got weakness in his eyes. Or I'll see like a figure skater who's, who's, um, isn't really training senses. And so they're not doing eye training, not doing inner ear training. And so they're beautiful and they can skate, but they fall on every jump. Well, that's, that's sensory training. That's eye training, you know? And so that it's really a missing piece. And for athletes to have something that's really simple and uh, kind of like instantly within a minute or two hacks their brain to give them that boost. And they go, wow, now I feel like I'm firing all cylinders. I feel like I have this capacity I didn't have before. See, this is what's amazing. It's making me think back to that guy that did these strange movements for these athletes. And you'd think that it's weird doing this. You know, so, some of the things he's done has kind of mimicked like the, the, um, fish and reptiles and, and it looks weird. I'm looking at the videos and he's moving his feet in a certain way, but it's changing their brain pattern because they haven't been used to moving in this way. And so that's why I think this is powerful because it's getting the athlete or the student to use their brain in a different way, which strengthens a new neural pathway, which I can understand gets the results. I'm just curious, have you done results um, or any sort of research that, that really tracks like what's happening to a person at their brain level when they're doing this other than just like tracking? What yeah, well, the, the reality is that um, the research has been done that shows that when your eye mobility and your eye tracking is strong, that the, the movement output increases. So, the, you know, that's not research that I've done myself. I've demonstrated it and I've, I've shown it real with my clients and with friends and family. But that research has, has been done and you can you can look it up. I mean, it's it's something that I love that, that exists because, you know, I'm not here to make promises that that I can't keep. And we, we've we seen athletes jump higher after a couple of minutes, run faster after just a couple of minutes because the eyes are that powerful. It's not because because it's it's like um, sometimes athletes, um, they'll, they'll kind of push back. I love this. They push back and they say, well. Um, I'm warmed up now. So now I'm faster. It's like, okay, let's, let's keep going with that. Let's make sure that you are completely warm. And now let's run a before and after test. And it's like, oh yeah, now you're running even faster because the eyes are that powerful. And so we do have some people in, in, in um, some of the, the teaching groups that I work with that are pursuing research because they have certain interests and I encourage that and want to support them and that as much as possible. But for me, I want people to have a movement solution 
and and help express and, and know that it's really easy and it's accessible. But if if somebody wants to do research, I would support that because I think the more information we have, it, it's better. But I'm really focused on helping to spread the word and to help people understand how simple and easy it is to get access to better performance. Definitely. And not to get bogged in the research, but um, the the other person that I was interviewing kept talking about that sensory input, something they see or experience gives a different movement output. That was yeah. the explanation and just go that simple. Like I yeah. don't need to go any more in depth. And they're seeing something on the ball that's changing their movement, right? Exactly. It's that simple. It's that simple. And, and even though you could go into all kind of science and chemical and all that, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. No, <laughs> it's it's no. not going to change. It's not going to change. You don't have to understand all of that. And in fact, I think it can make it more complicated and you can just enjoy the game, keep it fun and get out of your head. We, we think too much. We don't need to think about our thoughts anymore, you know? Exactly. So, so what exactly then is the brain speed ball? So how does it work and how would it help someone with neurological conditions to improve the quality of their, of their life? Yeah. I mean, I, the person that comes to mind is, is a, a friend and client of mine um, that had Parkinson's and, you know, Parkinson's is a movement disorder. And so the brain speed ball was something that just lit him up. I mean, it was something that would bring him so much joy and happiness. And for someone in um, going through, you know, the different stages of Parkinson's, that's incredible. And for him to have something that makes him feel more, more um, steady on his feet and feel more positive to feel like he's got interaction with people because, you know, as the, as the disease progresses, you have less and less social interaction. You're going out less and people don't necessarily know how to interact with you and, and what to say and what to do. And, and so if you have a game, you can play with anybody, you know, it's, it's, and we, and I'll play with whatever that condition is. I mean, whether it's Parkinson's or they've suffered a stroke or MS, we've worked with them all. And for me, it's, it's just a, a really easy tool that they can feel like, Oh, I'm capable of doing more, even though the disease has a real degeneration that's going on. There's a, there's a reality to that. But while you're experiencing that, you can feel like, oh, gosh, I feel better today. I feel like I, I'm, I'm a little happier. I, I'm a little, be- a little more steady on my feet or whatever it might be. Or I have less pain or more range of motion in my neck. It could be something simple, but um, that, that can be huge because every, a lot of times in those situations, there, there just isn't much positivity that's happening. It's just a lot of negative and decline. So to give something fun that they can do and with their caretaker, with their spouse, with their kids, with their grandkids, uh, it's, it's pretty awesome. Grant, seeing grandkids and those with Parkinson's play the game together is really special. And, you know, you know it's, 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 it's just a, a connection that maybe couldn't happen otherwise. I love when people have invented something that has the heart behind it. And from someone who has put stuff out into the world, I know it's not easy. And I noticed as I was actually writing the questions, I had to figure out how to do the TM next to the trademark, next to um, <laughs> fire up your ball. I was like, oh, how do I make sure I put the trademark in there? And, and when did when did you trademark it? And I just wonder, like, how was that process so that you can honor this invention as yours? Yeah, yeah, it, it's exciting, actually, because I just yesterday I received my paperwork from from federal government. It takes a very long time. Like you file and you wait and you go through a process and then years later. And so this is now um, about three years 
before I received the paperwork to verify the federal trademark. So now we can actually use the R with the circle around it because we have a registered federal trademark, which is super exciting. And, and to me just demonstrates my commitment to the validity and the reality of helping people with this and making it really simple. But um, yeah, I think it's an important thing to go through it. it, I've I've done patents before in my life. um, But this one is important to me because, you know, it, it's something that I've just seen touch so many people's lives and I want people to be able to trust it and to, and to trust me and to trust how powerful the eyes are and hear that, you know, really hear that. And so I think by going through the trademark process, it demonstrates that I'm really serious about this. Definitely. You know, I'm serious about the fun of this, you know? <laughs> no, I noticed that creating your questions for you. As I was thinking about this, I thought, wow, because uh, that it's time consuming. And and I know you want to get this out to the world, which is why, you know, you're coming on the podcast. I just wonder what other avenues have you looked at? Have you looked at, because I've interviewed someone from Shark Tank. Have you thought about, you know, going on any of those type of shows to share or get get more support with marketing? Yeah, I, I have, but you know, it's, it's, um, I, I found that word of mouth is really powerful and, um, we're, we actually are in the process of shifting our marketing efforts and, and sharing, sharing this work in a much more profound way. So I'm, I'm interested in getting people experiences with the ball. And so we're going to be focusing more on me doing that through, social media, live social media. And I I did one just this week and it's risky, but it's really fun because I don't know the response I'm going to get. So here I am on Instagram live, you doing before and afters with the ball, hoping that something changes and then hearing from them, you know, if it does. And so um, I kind of like that, you know, so we're taking, I'm taking the approach of, you know, putting me on the spot and play the game and see what happens. And no, I, like I told this person earlier the week, I promised that one of three things will happen. It's going to get better. It's going to get worse. Or it's going to stay the same. I promise. <laughs> and I think that just speaks to not having expectations. But I'll tell you, the only time that I've seen it not get better or get worse is when the game was too easy or way too hard. Yeah. When you just find a game that you drop the ball once in a while, it works. I've seen it work every time, even with clients that have one one working arm minimal pincer grasp in their hands it's just because they're tracking with the eyes it's it's really it's incredible so we've talked about if you're a teacher and you see this and how does that work for each school? yeah i mean I, what, what we find is very successfully having teachers have the program and then they'll get as many balls as they need for the classroom and sometimes they have the the budget and ability to have every kid or half the kids have a ball so that you have a partner and you can play um but that that program will support them and learning how to teach the kids how to play the game. The kids don't need the program. The teacher needs the program in this case, right? Um, and, and it's something that um, can be shared. It's meant to be shared. You know, it, it, they, they don't have to license it. The idea is that we get these balls in the hands of the kids and help them understand how to use them. And so it's a matter of, you know, whoever is going to teach the program, they should, they, they should have the program. So if you've got 10 teachers that are going to use it, they should all have access to the program. You know, it's, that's going to be important so they can go through the videos and they can understand, and they can ask questions because they have that ability. They, they can reach out and ask me questions and, and get, get information and how to support their situation. So it's more of like whatever teacher is using it, they have the program and then whatever kids are using the ball, they have a ball as well. And we often have find that the, the parents buy the kids balls for home too, because 
they really want to have that ability to sit and do that before they do their homework or before they go to bo- uh, before they get on the bus to go to school because they have anxiety, you know, or something, you know, it could be any, anything that kind of shows up. And then take me through the process. If you're a sports team, you would probably have the person running the sports team with one ball. How, how would you have used it for that soccer team? Yeah. So every, every athlete gets a ball that that's really important. Um, especially because with athletes, um, we're going to be playing games that have, that use, uh, one, two, three, four balls. And with athletes, because they're already, um, often playing a sport with a ball, they're handling the balls in quick manner. So we want to do skills that they're, they're not good at, which is two at one time, one flying toward them while one's going away. And so you want to have enough that that can happen. And I, I coach volleyball. And so for my college volleyball girls, uh, ladies, I should say, um, you know, they each have one and I develop games for them to help them with their, their, um, speed at the net, their reaction timing and creative ways to use multiple balls and have them work together. So it's not just me playing the game with them, but them working together. So, you know, for the coaches or the trainers that are using them, they want to learn how to use it with the program, but then give the kids the power or give their athletes the power to come up with their own games too. It's a part, it's, it just becomes a normal cultural part of their warm up for before they, before they play. Very cool. And then take me inside. Like, let's say we're going to a senior's home. And so everyone, how would, how would you work with, let's say a senior's home? Yeah. It's oftentimes in a senior's home, they they have somebody that comes into the, to the home to, to run a program or run an activity or to, you know, it's like, you know, every, every Friday is a certain activity. And um, that's usually the person who has the program, or if there's somebody that's in, in residence there that works there, that t- takes the seniors through programs, then they can have the program and then teach the seniors how to play. The seniors don't have to have the program to learn how to play the game, but usually in those situations, if you have that leader, that leader is the one that has the program and they learn how to use it, then they convey that to whoever they're working with. So in this case, the seniors, um, it's good for the, every senior to have a ball um, because then, because you can also throw it against the wall. And for me personally, it's one of my favorites because I have one at every desk that I use because it's a way to get focused. And if I'm if I have a lot of screen time and I'm stressed, I, I can take a break and just reconnect myself through playing the ball. So they're by themselves in their room or they're bored and then get their neighbor to play a game of brain speed ball together. It becomes a fun social event for them, too. Oh, I love it. This is fun. I like this. So what are other ways people can work with you? If they go to the, your website, the, you said you're doing now some some lives so that people can get a, an idea of what this is, but do you have other ways that people can work with you? Yeah, so we, we have a section on the website called Ask Trent. And so you can ask any question regarding the Brainspeed Ball or what, what you see or anything that you might have, whether you have a ball now or you're thinking about it and you just have questions. Um, and then a lot of times I take those questions and I turn them into videos and you'll see them on the website. There are videos that I filmed from people that have asked questions to give a, a good idea so that you have a resource, you know, that you can, you can leverage. Um, and then, um, you know, sort of like looking off into the future and kind of the bigger vision here is what I'm really excited about because what, what I'm, what I'm preparing to do is to, um, leverage the professionals, that use this with their clients in many different spaces and create a programs that can happen for Parkinson's, those with Parkinson's all over the country. So we're gonna, we have a, we have a pilot program that launches next year. That'll be our, our test. And then from there, we'd like to go to five cities and then grow from there where we have a program where we can 
take these movement professionals through the training and then they can go run an event for those with Parkinson's and their caretakers in their local area so that they have a resource and they have that community that's, that can be built and supported that way. I think this is such a good idea. I am so impressed with this, uh, with your vision, with you actually creating this uh, based on your background that, you know, we, we didn't really go into it that much, but it wasn't an easy time growing up for you. So for you to have created this out of everything that you've gone through is is phenomenal. I want to congratulate you on putting this out into the world. This is a wonderful Thank you. I, I appreciate that. You know, I think that the fact that it comes from such a personal place is uh, doesn't make it easier. It actually makes it harder because every time I, sh I share this and I talk about this, it's also personal. And so I have to be willing to be, sit in that vulnerability to express like, yeah, I failed first grade because I couldn't read. Like, that's super embarrassing. But also, I'm super empowered by that because other people have to and worse, you know, like, and, and. It, so I, I feel like it's, it's a way to help hold the vision accountable and hold me accountable for showing up. And it's not just, oh, yeah, I, I invented something that I'm selling. Like, that's, right. that's right. the easy no. part. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's just not that's just that's not what not this it is. At all. It, yeah. Not at all, which is yeah. why I got so excited when when I was creating this, because uh, there's so much more behind it, especially for someone that's been in the classroom and watched a student struggle and then to have a tool that is cutting edge now like we're all looking for what what can we do now what what how can we impact the brain now and here's something that you've created that's making an impact is there anything trent that we've missed that's really important that that we just haven't covered yet that you think we should touch on i just think it's important to reiterate that this is a simple and fun game and that the it, it, what makes it powerful is that the eyes have such a crucial connection to the brain and how it performs that that's we're tapping into that and you don't have to have a brain background or understand any of the complication of the science behind it to go man we could really leverage this i know somebody who could really benefit from this i could benefit from this and and it's that simple it can be simple and it can be fun it doesn't have to be hard and complicated like so many other things we have in our life Wow. Well, for people to connect with you, I'm going to put all the links to your website, fireupyourbrain.com, and they can email you, um, connect with you on Facebook. Is there any other social media that I'm missing? Are you on Instagram? Instagram, Instagram as well. Yep. Okay. Instagram. I'll, I'll make sure I put everything in there. I want to thank you very much, Trent, for coming on the podcast today and sharing your personal story of really how you came to discover Brain Speedball to help others who might be struggling in the way that that we know so many people are. And you mentioned so many different areas that I wasn't even thinking of. Anxiety, um, students, you know, not just with reading struggling, but with what's going on in our schools today. Yeah. So if someone wants to try the program, do they just go to the, your website? Is that the best, the best way? Yeah, just go to the website. Yeah, so where you'd go, you'd go to fireprebrain.com and you can find the program that makes sense for you, whether it's kids, athletes, or uh, seniors. And it's it's a really easy system. I think of it like a Netflix or a streaming service for Brain Speedball. And that you have the videos that keeps track of what you've watched. And if you leave and come back, it'll, it'll take off right where you left. So you don't have to remember where you were. And it's really organized and really easy. And we find that 
the system we use is like very easy for all ages and abilities so that sometimes technology can be confusing and, and get in the way. We find this is a really simple. So you get, the, you get the videos you need, you get the ball, it comes in the mail, and then you're not alone. You can always ask questions. And that's a really important thing to know. You're not alone. Perfect. And I think your website's great as well. It, it walks you through every step of the way. So I'll make sure I put uh, the step-by-step -step way to um, have a look at Brain Speedball. And thank you so much. It's my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you. Some final thoughts at the end of this episode. When someone who has spent their entire lifetime thinking of ways to help others, like Trent McIntyre, I think it's really important to support their work. If you're a teacher in the classroom looking for new ways to have your students take brain breaks, be sure to visit his website, fireupyourbrain.com, and read through some of the K-12 educator testimonials. If you work with athletes, we've spent many episodes on this podcast talking about the importance of movement in the brain, but now we can add how eye tracking is sharpening an athlete's focus and agility. And if you know someone who's struggling with everything that goes along with a neurological disorder, we're going to take a deeper dive into this topic this week with Dr. Philippe Doyon. He's a board certified neurologist who focuses on how to take charge of our health when we're faced with illness in our life. But in the meantime, I trust the work that Trent has put behind Brain Speedball and hope that we'll all take a serious look at what he's created to get us all moving with our brain in mind. I'll see you in a few days. If you're enjoying the Neuroscience Meets Social and Emotional Learning podcast, please don't forget to subscribe so you'll stay up to date with our new episodes. While you're there, please feel free to give us a review or a five-star rating as it helps others find us. For more information on our programs, books, and tools for schools and the workplace, visit us at www.achieveit360.com.